0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We have made it to the end of the week. Time to take a step back, though, from the headlines and dig a little deeper on the weekly news recap. There are a lot of big stories to discuss.
1: Chicago just experienced its most violent Memorial Day weekend on record. To curb the epidemic of street violence, one of Chicago's richest men is promoting an ambitious public safety plan.
0: Lori Lightfoot has a new job. The Chicago
2: City Council just voted to approve $51 million to fund migrant housing.
0: Here to break down those stories and more is A.D. Quigg, Chicago Tribune, Cook County, and Chicago government reporter. Welcome back, A.D. Thank you for having me. Also here, Brandon Pope, reporter and anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's Making Podcast. Hey, Brandon. Hey,
3: how's it going?
0: And with us for the first time here woo, on The woo, Recap, woo, 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 woo. WBEZ, city government and politics reporter, Tessa Weinberg. Welcome, Tessa. Uh, Remember that you can watch the Weekly News Recap live on the Facebook and YouTube pages. Tessa, I'll begin with you and City Council here. There was some spirited debate, to, to put it mildly, this week, but the council approved funding to support migrants. I want you to first break down what the $51 million for migrants will be used
2: for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that $51 million is, you know, broadly going to be used to continue to support the thousands of asylum seekers that are here in Chicago, um, like staffing and running these shelters, um, you know, legal aid, transportation. Um, We haven't seen a lot of specifics of breakdown of what that will look like, but that's kind of the broad brushstrokes. You know, there's As earlier this week, there was over four thousand asylum seekers and nearly a dozen shelters and temporary respite centers across the city. Yeah, and you know, over six hundred, you know, sleeping in police station lobby floors. And so, and this money is only going to be for a month, right? Yeah, Mm. that was something that the Lightfoot administration previously said it's only going to last through June. And so, I think that'll be something we'll be looking towards of when the city might need to be asking city council for more of these kind of surplus funds again, or if they'll need to.
0: As I mentioned, it was super tense at that meeting earlier this week. Here's a little bit of what Southside 20th Ward Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor had to say. As black people who have been hurt continuously by the city and country it loves, it ain't our responsibility to take care of everybody else. Here's a little bit more of what she had to say.
3: I know it's right to want to help other people because as black people, that's what we do. But when the hell are y'all going to help us?
0: So though uh, Taylor said that she was conflicted, the Alderwoman ultimately voted in favor of the funding. Is that right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she ultimately voted in f- favor. She had you know said basically that. Hurt people don't hurt people. Um, you know, her ward includes the former Wadsworth Elementary School that is being used as a temporary shelter for asylum seekers. And she's been very vocal and outspoken, you know, before even this meeting about, you know, what she feels was a lack of communication from former Mary Lori Lightfoot's administration about, mm-hmm. you know, choosing these shelter this shelter, putting it in her community. She was saying how, you know, her ward doesn't have things like a a bowling alley or a theater, but that, you know the black community can still support, you know, these incoming, you know, arrivals. And, you know, even as she voted yes for it, people were from the crowd were yelling out that she was a traitor. And so it was a very heated, you know, emotional, tense meeting.
1: And it was especially kind of personal for Taylor, too, because she was uh, an original hunger striker trying Mm -hmm. to keep Chicago Public Schools locations open and seeing a a vacant school essentially repurposed for something like this. Yeah. um, When she has been calling for investment for so long, I think was especially kind of acute for her. Yeah. Mm.
0: Chicago 675, one of our friends on YouTube, says black people, black people in Chicago are last in every economic measure. It's a tough pill to swallow for the black community. Yeah. Uh, another alderwoman, Maria Haddon of the 49th Ward representing Rogers Park. Here's a little bit of what she had to say. Why are black people in Chicago and some communities so angry? Why, why is all this kind of anti-immigrant sentiment coming up? And I want to explain to folks it's because if we cared as much about black people and had over the decades as we do about everyone else, we wouldn't be here. It's quite a few black older persons felt this way, didn't they, Brandon?
3: Yeah, it's, just, it, it's, a, it's that complicated feeling you feel from being just a black person in America. You're used to seeing our issues not prioritized, right? And so what you saw in that city council meeting was just real pain. Just a decades long pain, especially from people that grew up here. And it was interesting seeing Alder Woman Haddon engage with some people there that were heckling her. And kind of like opening that dialogue she kind of regretted it she said a little bit but mm. she she understands that this is just there's no easy answer here um, and it's it's a struggling thing for so many people to grapple with 51 million dollars we as journalists and, and reporters we understand how that money may have come about mm-hmm. but the everyday person thinks no idea wow where'd you get that number we're begging for resources and now you got 51 million and it's not going to us like we, we keep asking and we're not getting it it's like Even the
0: idea that it's going to run out in a month, that goes over a lot of people's And that's the thing.
3: It's like when you ask your mom for McDonald's, a Happy Meal, right? And she keeps telling you, nah, nah, nah. But then she buys herself an iPad. You're like, well, wait a second. You said there was no money here. So that's the frustration that's going on.
0: Yeah. Emotions ran high, as Brandon just said, among the the public, specifically at the meeting. Some were even escorted out by police for, for being disruptive. Let's listen to a little bit of that, and we'll hear from you all on the back end.
1: We cannot continue to falsely pick communities against one another.
0: Here's another person at the meeting. We don't want to have to recall anybody. We don't want to have to protest anybody, but we are not going to be ignored, Brandon. And that's Brandon Johnson, not Brandon Pope. (laughs) We have to keep doing that. (laughs) AD, though, in all seriousness, it seems like despite the funding being approved, this is an issue we're not going to stop hearing about.
1: No, and especially because of what we've all just been talking about, the 51 million running out at the end of the month. There's a lot of um, a lot of need, obviously, and it's not just at the city. It's at Cook County, which is providing health care to a lot of these families at their Northwest Side Clinic and at their hospital for specialty care. Um, so it's a lot of looking to the state for state funding, and the state in its budget, which we're going to talk about, um, gave less than both the city and county Requested to continue funding these services, and then the state kind of looking at the feds and saying, Hey, this is a national crisis. There should be national funds to help us deal with this. Yeah. So I think not only throughout the next few weeks, as we continue to see respite centers opening, we're going to see debates at Daly College and other places where they're considering opening. Uh, Broadway Armory is another one. Um, if more folks are sleeping on police station floors, if there are more problems with 311, um, helping folks find shelter this is this is an ongoing crisis and we we still don't know what the demand at the border is going to be long term
0: right yeah jules on youtube says i live on the south side the city never gave me a dollar and chicago 675 chimes in again saying being pro black is not anti immigrant uh brandon uh, you have a thought there
3: <laughs> yeah cuz that's that's the thing I, what what older woman taylor was saying though hurt people don't hurt people mm-hmm. i think is i think that's the right sentiment like The pain is understandable. You can be pro-black, but you can still be supportive of others. Right. And you can still understand that there's a mutual struggle going on. They did not ask to be here and black people didn't ask to be here either. Right. But there's still a shared struggle there. So there's got to be some sort of unity. I know that frustrations are high, but you can I think you can be both pro-black and pro let's help these asylum seekers
0: absolutely uh, one alderman was saying that the migrants might be infecting police officers with tuberculosis <laughs> what's going on yeah
3: misinformation does not help uh, any of this so alderman Raymond Lopez we know he's a very uh, active participant on Twitter he's the 15th worth of alderman unfortunately he used it to spread a misinformation uh, he's been a big critic of housing asylum seekers voted inside no police stations voted no on the funding Um he asked if the influx of asylum seekers is before or after tuberculosis infecting officers. There's been no cases, from the, according to the Department of Health, of tuberculosis from police officers, from any asylum seekers. So no one has any idea where he's getting any of this. It's just, it's just pure, hmm. dangerous speculation at What's this point. What's the point? point? To, to drive up sentiment against anti uh, the uh, anti-immigrant sentiment, it feels like I don't know what the point would be aside from that. It's yeah, just, that would be my question. It's it's ugly to see that. So Why? yeah, that that was the the fur there. There's once again the Department of Health says there have been zero cases from police or asylum seekers. Thanks so, for clearing that up. Makes no sense.
0: So moving on, Tessa, from this this migrant crisis, what else happened at City Council this week?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the other major things they did was making permanent and expanded outdoor dining program that had really become a fixture and lifeline for restaurants and bars during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so now bars and restaurants, they can apply for annual permits to expand their sidewalk cafes. Um, you know. Three restaurants or bars can band together and petition to close the street off to have outdoor dining. Um, And they can now tap, you know, curb lanes as well. And there's a process for that. Um, and another big feature I think that won support for all the persons of why they passed this was that it gives them a say and they get to give the recommendation mm-hmm. on whether these permits should be approved and that was something former Mayor Lori Lightfoot had not included in her previous version of the ordinance so yeah. this was definitely a big you know legislative win for Mayor Johnson who had put this forward. Will any
0: of y'all be outdoor
2: dining this summer?
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I, like oh, yeah. I love being like ooh I'm going to go dine al fresco <laughs> that's one of my favorite things to say Sounds so fancy. Keep, keep, the, keep the time rolling. I love it.
0: <laughs> this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you are tuned in to our weekly news recap, where we bring context and analysis to the biggest local and state stories of the week. Our panel includes WBEZ's Tessa Weinberg, Eddie Quigg of the Chicago Tribune, and Brandon Pope with CW26. Remember that you can also watch us break down these stories on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages, and you can check out the video live stream right now. It's on Reset's Facebook page as well. Memorial Day weekend, we got to talk about that. It was The most deadly in eight years. Uh, As the city tried to tackle crime, the Chicago Police Department's reform chief, she abruptly resigned, Tessa.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tina Scahill, she was the department's executive director of co- constitutional policing and reform. Um, and, you know, she was charged with, you know, implementing basically the consent degree within the department. And the Sun-Times had reported that she submitted her resignation earlier this week with plans to retire later this month. Um, she, you know, cited retaliation and even pointed to the state's Whistleblower Act. Um, but she didn't really specify the nature of that retaliation. Mm-hmm. That seems still... Somewhat unclear. Um, you it's know, it's a pretty
0: serious allegation.
2: Yeah, that is. You know, the um, one of the mayor's top, you know, aides had told the Sun Times that the police department has um, opened up an internal investigation over that. So I'm sure you know we'll be hearing more. And she was with the department. She was a longtime veteran of it, um, but she had only been in that position since August of last year. Her predecessor was abruptly fired after you know, complaining about officers being moved to patrol when Mm. he had requested they get moved somewhere else to be able to comply with some of these, um, you know, consent decree and federal requirements. And, you know, prior to that, the former civilian commanding officer of the department's audit division had also left. Chad Williams. Yeah. uh And in a letter to Lightning. Did he also cite retaliation? Right. Yeah. Citing retaliation, saying the department, you know, failed to even feign interest in pursuing reform in a meaningful manner. So while we don't know, you know, the specifics around Scahill's resignation, it's Mm -hmm. definitely been a you know, revolving door of, of folks and, um, you know, especially when it comes to how the department is, you know, working to implement the consent degree in these reforms. Wow.
0: AD, Chicago's uh, Civic Committee also realizes crime and reducing violence is the top priority for this city. The group revealed a, a public safety proposal this week. Can you walk us through that?
1: Right. So the Civic Committee is a roughly 150-year-old civic organization. The commercial club is... Um, Commercial Club is old, the Civic Committee is relatively new, but they're behind a lot of Chicago's biggest uh, tackling of issues. So the, the plan for Chicago in 1909, building of Stroger Hospital, this time they're tackling crime. It's something they haven't really tackled before. Um, it's somewhat unclear what exact form this will take. It's kind of like a task force thing where you don't know how it will end up. Um, but they said they'd be working on violence intervention, policing and criminal justice reforms, and hiring and investing in underinvested communities. Um, their goal is to make Chicago the safest big city in America, reduce homicides below 400 within five years, and bring shootings down to 2,000 within five years. Mm. Um, this, of course, was a huge deal in the mayoral campaign that we just got through. Yeah, We saw a lot of the business community lining up behind Paul Vallis, uh, who campaigned on being tougher on crime mm-hmm. than Brandon Johnson. But Brandon Johnson, in his first weeks of the transition, was... Um, pledged to work closely with the business community on a lot of issues. He had, he had run on like an uh, anti-tax or pro-tax platform that alienated some business leaders, but during the transition said, you know, I'm here. We got to work together, including on crime. So it'll be interesting to see um, how exactly they work together. There are some folks from the civic committee who are already on Johnson's transition, so figuring out how they're going to work together and what um, new hiring plans might be in place for a lot of these big corporations is going to mm. be a big deal. Because that's part of the long-term solution here. A lot of the neighborhoods uh, with the highest violent crime rates also have the highest unemployment. So if these businesses really tackle long-term goals like hiring people yeah. and workforce development um, that can make a long-term difference. I'm interested in what the short-term solutions are here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too.
3: I mean, th- they tried doing this under Rahm Emanuel, something like this 10 years ago, where he wanted, like I think, a $50 million buy-in from the mm-hmm. business community. Ultimately, I think he raised most of that money. But it didn't result in any major dips in crime. So I'm wondering what that task force is going to do, if their approach is going to be more, you know, full pronged, if there's going to be more hands on Mm -hmm. hearing they want to actually invest in communities and get in in the dirt there. That's, that's kind of right in lockstep with what Brandon Johnson was running on. So it's going to be fascinating to watch that kind of intersection happen there. It's the first time they're doing this in 146 years of them, their existence. So I hope it works. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah.
0: Other news this week, Brandon, we we know now a little bit more about what former Mayor Lori Lightfoot is going to be doing next.
3: What's her new gig? From Mayor Lightfoot to Professor Lightfoot, right? Yeah. <laughs> so she's going to be teaching a course at Harvard School of Public Health Um it's titled health policy and leadership okay it's going to be about how she steered Chicago through the COVID pandemic and some other parts of leadership it's not how new. she told
0: everybody to stay home it, that's
3: <laughs> that's a big part of it taking basketballs from kids you know i'm sure that's there's going to be a section <laughs> that's on the in first there. day <laughs> uh, yeah ex- you know how to make a good meme i'm sure that's part of it as well. maybe a few quizzes on that uh it starts in quizzes. august <laughs> it starts in august it's part of <laughs> Just saying. That was part of the COVID response, right? It uh, starts in August. It's, it's a part of a fellowship that other mayors have been a part of. Um, Bill de Blasio, former New York mayor, he was also a Harvard fellow who did an eight-week course on leadership, depending on how you feel about his leadership style. Yeah. But um, it's fascinating. So that's her next act for now. Mm-hmm. It's only eight weeks, though, so we're going to see what happens next. But she's going to have office hours. She's going to be on campus. She's going to wow. meet with students and all that type Wearing of stuff. Wearing a lot of tweed. Wearing a lot of tweed, uh, maybe some more tailored suits. We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah,
2: and she said she wants you know the public health commissioner, Arwady to come speak to her students. I so, was wondering yeah.
3: about that. Dynamic duo. Yeah. Hopefully in costume. Remember the Dorona, Halloween costume?
1: Dorona Destroyer costume. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's uh, Brandon Pope, host at CW26 and WBEZ's Making Podcast, the Chicago Tribune's AD Quick, and WBEZ's Tessa Weinberg. We are just getting started. We still got our friends on YouTube and Facebook chiming in, including Jim Roche, who says nice beard, BP. He's talking about you, Brandon. <laughs> Stick around. There's plenty more news to cover. Back now with more Reset and more of the weekly news recap. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. With us now is a panel of journalists breaking down the biggest state and local stories. Before the break, we got the latest on what's been happening with City Council. But let's get back into it.
1: DuPage County is exploring ending its water contract with the city of Chicago and building its own pipeline to Lake Michigan.
3: All eyes are on the Diocese of Joliet. The Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priest, or SNAP, is calling on more transparency from the bishop there. Notice for hourly employees who work in Cook County, the minimum wage will increase July 1st.
2: The Illinois Senate has passed a state budget after multiple delays.
1: Illinois could soon see changes, 565 of them, to be precise. That's how many bills statewide lawmakers passed in the spring session.
0: At the table with me today is the Chicago Tribune's Cook County and Chicago government reporter A.D. Quigg, WBEZ city government and politics reporter Tessa Weinberg, and Brandon Pope, reporter and anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's Making Podcast. Don't forget, you can also watch the recap right now on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. A.D., over to you, because we've got a budget. We've got a budget. We've got a budget. Lawmakers had to work into the wee hours, though, of the morning. As
1: they are wont to Over do. Memorial
0: Day <laughs> weekend. Um, but they did eventually pass a $50.6 billion state budget. So anything stand out to you in there?
1: Well, for one, um, anyone who thought having super majorities would make everything super easy, there's supermajority Democrats in both chambers in Springfield. You would think it would be like smooth sailing on everything. Not so. Mm. Um, so we thought we had a deal on Wednesday. That was not the case. As you mentioned, they pulled us off of the weekend, like 3 a.m. on Saturday. Um, this is like a transitional time for Springfield. We are post-Madigan. We are post-Greg uh, Harris, the budgeteer who kind of like kept things running smoothly during budget season. A challenge for Speaker Welch to kind of get his ducks in a row within the various Democratic caucuses because we have moderate Democrats. We have progressive Democrats. Um so what stood out? Uh, continuation of the state-funded healthcare program for non-citizens mm-hmm. who qualify, who don't qualify yet for traditional federal Medicaid. Um, they allocated about five hundred and fifty million dollars to that program. Folks might remember a few weeks ago it was projected to cost more than a billion. Like it, it grew much faster than legislators thought. So they addressed that to some extent. Um, gave the governor some power to control costs there. Um, this is separate from the fight for funding for. Healthcare for Asylum Seekers, by mm. the way. This is folks who have been in, in the country for at least five years. Asylum Seekers do not qualify for this program. Okay. Um, lawmakers also gave themselves raises from 85000 to $89,675. And this is after they already gave themselves raises in January. Lovely. A 17% pay increase back then. Um, they also punted on the Invest in Kids scholarship program. Uh, this is essentially a $75 million tax credit for people to donate to a private school scholarship program. Um, They could take this up during veto session, so this is like not the end of the road for investing kids. Um, Republicans predictably said this was unbalanced, did not go far enough to provide tax relief. Uh, Folks remember last year there were a bunch of COVID-related tax breaks on gas, groceries, school supplies. Not so in this budget. Hmm.
0: Republicans were critical. They said that they had very little input. Let's listen to a little bit of House Minority Leader Tony McCombie.
1: Regardless of our weekly meetings, Speaker Welch, you gave a false hope for a new day. The House Republicans were denied participation in many things, but most importantly, this year's budget process.
0: and that doesn't exactly sound like there's a new spirit of bipartisanship in Springfield, does
3: it? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) I mean, the honeymoon is still... Rocky at this point. They still have to figure out the kinks and everything. Ad put it pretty well. You still got moderates. You still got progressives, and there's still some some big divides happening there about what's happening. They punted on a lot of stuff. You know, the they punted on the Bears' decision with Arlington Heights. They they punted on uh, a decision to try to get more people of color into the marijuana industry. Um, elected school boards. So there's a lot of things that this this body's going to have to take up that are really big decisions that they yeah. just kind of like yeah. kick down the road. And that,
1: that criticism of Republicans in the House was not quite as vehement in the Senate. Um, Republicans gave some credit to Senate President Don Harmon for inviting them to the table more than was yeah. happening over at the house,
0: and, and as uh, Ad mentioned, Tessa, one of the more controversial elements. Because I want to make sure we we don't skate over this. You know, is this raise that lawmakers mm. gave themselves? Right, five point five percent to be exact. Base pay for for members of the General Assembly will now be nearly ninety thousand dollars. I mean, Brandon, Tessa, wouldn't it be amazing to be <laughs> able to
3: give yourself uh, a raise, vote
0: on your own salary?
3: Oh, you guys are giving me a raise, right, for being here? Absolutely not. Oh, <laughs> damn
2: it. All right, catch, is, catch you later. This is free 99. <laughs> Yeah, you know, a few of the Democrats, they had cited that salary increase as why they were voting against, you know, the budget and part of their reasoning. And, you know, like A.D. mentioned, it's going from 85000 to $89,675 about. Um, you know, proponents were saying it's a cost of living adjustment. Um, but, you know, they had just given themselves, you know, a raise in January. And that was a nearly 17 percent increase. So, yeah. Wow. gotta well,
3: factor in inflation, too. The price of eggs is crazy. I'm sure, sure. you know. A few extra thousand That's in there. That's
0: what was top
2: of mind.
3: I'm sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Lawmakers passed 565 bills in this session, A.D. One of them will boost pension benefits for Cook County employees. Tell us about that.
1: This is something I've been following for eight years now.
0: Oof. Oh, um, yeah. my dear.
1: Um, some, some folks might remember way back in 2015, a very heated debate at the county to raise the sales tax by a penny on the dollar with money going to pump up county pensions which were slated to basically go dry in 2055. So Cook County, like a lot of other local pension funds, was only paying in a fraction of what was actually needed to pay out money to beneficiaries, thanks to a statutory multiplier. Mm. Um, That didn't really count for any of the true costs. So for years, the county was making supplemental payments from that sales tax revenue to its pension fund. And technically, this is not kosher in state statute. Technically, you're only supposed to use property tax revenues. For, to pay for county pensions. So they were they had like a handshake agreement between the county board and its pension fund to like keep making these extra payments. And for years, President Preckwinkle was trying to go down there and codify this. Um, because given Illinois history of skipping pension payments, mm-hmm. if she left office as board president who was like dedicated to making these pension payments, Or you get a bunch of Cook County commissioners who are like, wait, this is a ton of money. We'd rather be using this for regular services rather than kicking this over to pensions. Like you got to get this in the code for it to keep going long into the future to finally fund pensions. Yeah. So she's gone down to Springfield multiple times to try to get this change, but kept hitting roadblocks in part because she wanted to change the makeup of the pension fund board to give herself more appointees to it. Oh, I see. So the reason, um, a large part of the reason this passed this time is because she dropped that demand. Um, This bill also has Tier 2 reforms to it. What does that mean? So Tier 2 were, uh, it was like a pension fix to help make things more affordable, passed back in 2011. Um, But the catch was that there wasn't enough money set aside to ensure that those retirees' benefits would match what folks make in Social Security. Um, So this fixes that. And it doesn't cost them very much money. It's going to cost like three million dollars a year, which in pension funding is like chump change.
0: Man, so I see why you've been following this for eight years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I yeah, can, it's a lot. I can hear her
3: talk about
2: this all
0: day. <laughs> this I'm a lot.
1: So what? So that's a big deal for the county. Not terribly expensive. What it is going to be a big deal for is city pensions when they make tier two. Reforms.
0: Now we're talking.
1: Now we're talking. <laughs> um, we will get to this debate. This is something Mayor Brandon Johnson announced last week. We're going to do a pension uh, pension reform task force. We're going to get together with our public safety pensioners at Police and Fire and figure this out. Yeah. And part of figuring that out is going to be where the heck do we get this money? Um, Brandon Johnson has been very opposed to raising Property taxes and property taxes is mainly how we fund pensions. So Mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, Brandon Johnson here is uh, so the the legislation was proposed by Democratic State Senator Robert Martwick of of Chicago. Tessa. He's also sponsoring other pension legislation, but this one stalled, right? What's going on?
2: Right, yeah. So Martwick had some bills that were going to increase firefighter pension benefits, specifically for Tier 2, like AD had talked about. Yeah, Um, And he said he got a call from Mayor Johnson, who asked Martwick to, you know, press pause, Allow Johnson's administration to kind of, you know, wrap their head around the situation, make their own assessments, you know, give them a chance to kind of put forward their plans. And, you know, Martwick agreed. You know, he said he anticipates anticipates being part of part of that working group um, that Johnson announced. And Johnson says he's had good discussions with police and fire unions. And it seems like the goal so far is to come up with some kind of proposal or solution by the time lawmakers convene for their veto session in the fall mm-hmm. um, whether these bills will be part of it, I think remains to be seen. you know former mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration had testified against them saying it was gonna you know raise the unfunded liability by three billion dollars. the Civic Federation had also urged caution. Um, but Johnson's first deputy chief of staff, um, you know, was a co-sponsor in these bills. So, it you know, it's an interesting mm-hmm. landscape. And I think, you know, we'll definitely be watching for what kinds of solutions they come forward with.
3: It's also going to be inter- interesting to see how Johnson works with uh, John Catanzara of the FOP. Mm-hmm. He said that they had a discussion already about how they're going to kind of piece this thing together. So... I- we know that Katanzara has been very contentious toward past mayors, even during the for campaign. Brandon Johnson. And Brandon Johnson, yeah. for sure. He said sure. there would be blood in the streets. Blood in the streets if he's elected. Uh, we got to see how they work together and to get this done. all the officers
0: are going to resign.
3: Yeah, that didn't happen. Wait, has it happened <laughs> no, su- yet? No, no surprise, okay. right?
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. You're tuned into our weekly news recap, where we bring context and analysis to the biggest local and state stories of the week. Our panel today, Brandon Pope with CW26, the Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quig, and WBEZ's Tessa Weinberg. And our friends are still watching us on Facebook and YouTube right now. Uh, A.D., minimum wage in the county. It's about to increase, but I'm not sure that workers are going to be celebrating when they read that fine print. Yeah. Mm.
1: They're like, what about the eggs? <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> am not be able to afford these eggs. Can't make an omelet no more. Um the county issued notice Tuesday that its minimum wage for non-tipped employees working in the county would rise from 13.35 to 13.70 on July 1st. Tipped employees minimum wage will go up from $7.40 to $8 an hour. This is tied to inflation, but not as high as inflation has actually gone. It is mm. capped at 2.5% while the consumer price index went up 4.9%. Mm. So the buying power of that raise doesn't really do the trick. Um, this applies to anywhere in Cook County that isn't Chicago or a municipality that has its own minimum wage requirements. So check the paperwork. But at the end of the day, um, it's rising but not keeping up with inflation. Hmm.
0: Well, Cook County government workers might be excited to hear the news about paid parental leave, though. Yes. What are those details?
1: Uh, so this was uh, this has been talked about for a few months. Uh, Commissioner Bridget Degnan and Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle uh, basically said, here's... We want to increase paid leave across the board for county employees to 12 weeks. So current policy allows for four weeks paid leave for birthing parent that has a non-surgical delivery, six weeks for a surgical delivery. So if you have a C-section, yeah. six weeks. Non-birthing parents and adoptive parents were only entitled to two weeks. So if you mm. were, uh, I remember talking to a lot of dads, young dads, That's not the a lot of time at all, who would only get two weeks, and mm. oftentimes they were balancing it or trying to work it out with their spouse. So that their spouse, they could cover as much ground as possible. Yeah. Mm. Um, So citing research around improved health outcomes for kids, for parents, um, they approved a resolution to study how much this would cost a few weeks ago. So we got the numbers. Um, Only $3.8 million. Oh, that's it? Oh, wow. Only $3.8 million. That's doable. So that will cover... um, The additional salary for when folks are not working and also overtime for folks that are covering for the people that are gone. And it's going to be, for all parents, adoptive, foster, birthing, non-birthing. Yeah. Hmm. Much more comprehensive. It still has to pass through like the full board, but everyone was supportive when this first came out. And I think now that we have the cost and the cost is relatively modest, it's probably going to clear the whole board.
0: Brandon, let's switch gears here. Uh, Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul had harsh words for Cardinal Blaise Cupich. This is a week after releasing his stunning investigation of how nearly 2,000 Illinois kids were abused by, by clergy. So, what did Kwame Raoul say?
3: Yeah, ground shaking report it said 451 different clergy members um, had been engaging in misconduct since 1950. That's more than the church had counted, at 103, significantly more. Yeah. Um, so, little back and forth happens. Blaze Supich says, hey, I would have liked to have gotten a heads up on this. Um, He says that he felt like he had this relationship with the AG where they could discuss this first and that he would like to have, you know, notice of the new names and new accusations so he could investigate it himself. He also wants more clarity on how the AG came to these conclusions. Um, And so Kwame Raul says, uh, well, actually, I'll just read what he said here because it's quite – it's quite eye-popping. He said, mm-hmm. At best, Blaise Subic's comments are misleading. At worst, it's more the same, a continuation of the church's decades-long pattern of turning a blind eye. He says the two are going to talk when Subic returns from the Vatican. Um, but Tough talk there from Call Me Raul. Uh, he's not backing down on this. He's kind of I'm, I'm sure he's thinking why would I give you a heads up? This is bigger than a heads up. This is yeah. like well, and a lot gross and a lot
1: of these names came directly from your list. That right? too, exactly. <clears throat> so
3: it, like it, it's just gross misconduct and it's just it's a it's a dark stain um on the clergy here in Illinois, um throughout the entire state, not just here in Chicago.
0: Meanwhile, advocates for for victims of clergy abuse rallied outside the Joliet Diocese Mm -hmm. this week on Wednesday. What was that about?
3: There's a group called SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. They say that the Joliet Catholic Church list of abusers is not complete, and they believe there's a lack of transparency going on. They have a list on their website. Um, The AG report listed 69 credibly accused priests, but the Joliet Diocese website, they say that it's missing eight different names. And they say there could be more that are not even included here. Um, So they they think there should be more. They want more transparency. And so that's what they're calling for. That's why they're protesting. Um, Obviously, emotions super high because this is just this is just ugly, ugly stuff. And the fact that for so long, the Catholic Church has been just burying these things and burying these things. And now you got eight possible names and even more that could just be. No, omitted.
0: One of our friends on YouTube, Shamrock Bloom, says another in a series of dark stains yeah. on the Catholic Church. Yeah. this
1: was the report itself was remarkable to read. Like often we get a press release and maybe like copy of a lawsuit. This was like a, an entire website, including with narratives of survivor narratives detailing exactly what happened, which is very difficult to read, yeah. but very important to read if you can if you can stomach it, to kind of bear witness. Um, to what was covered up for so long?
3: Yeah, and these things don't happen in a vacuum. It's it's systemic. They don't. You know that's the thing. Like so many people have to turn a blind eye and just say this is okay, or we're going to let this happen for it to continue to happen for so long. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's wrong, and uh, we're going to see what more names may pop up.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's one thing that everyone can agree on is there will be more. Mm-hmm. This is this isn't it. Sadly, yeah. That's Brandon Pope, host at CW26 and WBEZ's Making Podcast, the Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quig and WBEZ's Tessa Weinberg. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are back with more of our weekly news recap, giving you a closer look at the week's top stories across Chicago and Illinois. Now, before the break, we took a deep dive into the state's new budget and new legislation, but we still have more to get to. We're still live on YouTube and Facebook for those who prefer to watch. We're still taking your questions and comments in that chat box. And our panelists, Brandon Pope, Tessa Weinberg, and A.D. Quigg. All right, A.D., here's a suburban story getting attention. This one has to do with how DuPage County gets its water.
1: Yes, they get it from the city of Chicago, right next door to where we are here at Navy Pier. Ah. Um, Okay, hand gestures. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you guys guys (laughs) on YouTube get to see my wonderful hand gestures. I'm gesturing to the Jardine Water Treatment Plant right Right next Right here. Um, So DuPage has been a customer for the city of Chicago for 40 years, but their contract is expiring. Um, By September, they basically have to tell the city whether they want to continue buying water from them or not. Um, folks might remember a few weeks ago, the city reached a water deal with the city of Juliet um, to deliver water starting in 2030 for the foreseeable future. It's a, it's a long-term contract. It's really good for the city's finances. And DuPage looked at that contract and said, we would like those terms, please. Um, and if you, as part of our due diligence, the first time this contract is coming up in 40 years, we need to look at all of our options. Mm. And one of the options that they are looking at is potentially building their own pipes all the way from Lake Michigan out to Elmhurst. Instead where they have, of getting it from Chicago. Instead of buying it from the city of Chicago. Um, this would cost billions of dollars, would be very complicated. Um, would take time. Would take a long time. Um, but they say long term, this could be more affordable than the current rates that the city of Chicago is charging. Um, the city came back and said, we love you guys. Please stick around. We plan on giving you the same kind of rates that we're giving Joliet. So- Right now, everyone in Chica- that buys water from Chicago is play- paying the same rate. So it's $4.54 per 1,000 gallons. In the Joliet contract, they're switching it around a little bit. They're moving to a cost-of-service model that basically says um, you're going to pay different rates based on how hard it is to get the water to you, what kind of infrastructure you're using to receive the water. Um, DuPage has a really straightforward way of getting water. It's like a mm-hmm. couple of pumping stations. Um Huge pipes, so they can deliver a lot of water. It's more costly if you got to go down smaller, smaller pipes to grandma's like half-inch yeah. meter.
0: So this, do you think that this is in any way realistic for for DuPage, or to maybe build, a to nego- build their own? Yeah, or or maybe just a negotiating tactic.
1: It could be both. Ooh. Um And if it, the city has basically said, yes, we are going to give you this cost of service rate. Um, it might just be a matter of how soon that cost of service rate kicks in. So for Joliet. For everyone across the board, it is by 2030. Yeah. So 2030 it's the latest. Um, but Chicago is uh, duty-bound to charge everyone that's buying water from them the same rate. The same rate. And what Chicago officials told me was it's kind of complicated to calculate this rate for all of our customers. They have a lot of customers. They all have different infrastructure. They all have different use patterns. Um the DuPage thing was basically like un- unthinkable, like super complicated, but uh, because of the way that they say the negotiations have gone, they haven't got like yeah. the full responsiveness from the city that they want. Um, so they looked into this and now they're like, it's it's possible, it's doable, but it would be interesting, a huge thing to tackle. And if they did it, it would also be a threat to Chicago from picking up more suburban of customers. Course. Because yeah. as folks are probably aware, a lot of suburban customers still rely on groundwater, their aquifer. But a lot of those are drying up. So this demand for lake water is, I think, only going to increase. Um, Climate change is another factor here that Mm -hmm. um, is almost immeasurable, as are the rest of our, uh, as I refer to them, lake-sipping partners um, in Wisconsin, in Indiana, all over. There's like a a lot of stuff. A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. A lot of things to consider.
0: Well, we are now in the month of June, Brandon, which means it is Pride Month. You've done some stories about some new LGBTQ events that are happening this year. So tell us about some of those.
3: Yeah, some great stuff. So, big one Elgin is having their first ever Pride Festival and Parade. They've never had one before. Awesome. Um, I spoke with the lead organizer. Her name's Kayla Bates. She told me this was more than five years in the making. She feels the community, the business community especially, has been super supportive of them. Um, and they rallied around the idea. So, that's Sunday, this Sunday, 11 a.m. Downtown Elgin, the first one, so it's sure to be a good time. Family friendly, everyone's invited. Um, but here in Chicago, back home, uh, the Shed Aquarium hosting the Queer Fam Pride Jam. It's a daytime family focused pride celebration on June seventeenth, uh, from like ten A. M. till four. Uh, they got all kinds of cool things that kids like to do, face yeah. and adults too. Face painting. Dance parties, mm-hmm. Touch um, the
1: stingrays,
3: touching the stingrays. You can obviously see the fishies and the turtles. Uh, there's a drag dress up and makeover. They got wellness activities. They got a vendor market for the adults who want to buy some candles and fancy boutique type of things. Nice. And it's all sponsored by our friends at Block Club Chicago. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Ooh, yeah. Sure to be fun.
0: Well, Tessa, Chicago kids also have a reason to celebrate because school is letting out next week for summer and some parents like me are crying <laughs> inside. <Aww>. Uh, <laughs> but we know that one of Mayor Johnson's, one of his first executive orders, we've talked about this on the program, it was to boost youth employment, right? Clearly he wants to avoid what we saw back in April when we had a, you know large gatherings of teens and chaos downtown. But increasing youth employment, I mean, it continues to be a challenge, right? I feel Mm -hmm. like it's easier said than than done.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, he said he wants to double the number of youth hired, um, and they're kind of building on the city's summer youth employment program that employs um, 14 to 24-year-olds and and pairs them with employers. Um, but he, you know, just took office recently. You know, I believe applications are set to, you know, originally close today. Yeah. They're closing soon. And he's kind of locked into that that budget that Lightfoot had for the program. Um, you know, last summer, over 20,000 teens were employed through it um but Johnson's you know his administration has said they were already talking with um corporations, business partners um trying to get them to hire more youth, boost employment um and over you know Memorial Day weekend ahead of that when Johnson was um you know announcing some of his his plans um he announced a bunch of grant funding for different organizations um you know to reduce violence and some of that included projects to engage teens I think one of them was to hire young people to um, run a community garden oh cool um, so it seems like there's other avenues he's kind of tapping as well I believe in the state budget there is even you know 15 million regarding a, a youth summer program I don't know how much of that will be coming to Chicago per se um, but yeah, so we'll see. It seems like they're taking kind of a broad brush approach. Yeah.
3: The key thing is finding stuff kids actually want, want to, to do. do. That's really yeah. the key. You can have the programming, but is it actually stuff that's cool?
0: I mean, my kids would do the, the community garden stuff. Yeah. They'd love that.
3: But and, maybe not every kid. But though. with every kid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. You recently interviewed, Brandon, the, the head of After School Matters, which is, we know, a big source for for um, teen summer jobs. What did Mary Ellen Karen? do? Say.
3: Oh, well, hey, they are hiring uh, instructors for the summer. But the cool thing about after school matters, too, is that the kids that participate in the program also get paid for participating in the program as well. So they yeah. can pocket a little bit of money. So applications are open. Uh, it's a program where you can have instructors from different industries teach a wide array of different things from art. To business, uh, I taught with After School Matters uh, a journalism class, sports journalism in South Shore. Cool. Did a, lot about, of,
0: did a lot of kids show up? A lot
3: of kids showed up three That's summers. Yay.
0: Many journalists. I,
3: it was a learning experience for sure. Because <laughs> while I wanted to just talk about journalism, a lot of times I had to deal with handling interpersonal conflicts and no. dealing with their own traumas and things like that.
1: That's like a real newsroom, like a re- <laughs> very <laughs> much like the journalism like community here, yes, off the air. Absolutely.
3: No, <laughs> But I, it's something I encourage everyone, if you have some spare time to get involved in, yeah. it helped help inform my perspective a little bit. So, you know, we all cover these communities. But when you're actually embedded in one, you're going to South Shore every day mm-hmm. on 71st and Jeffrey, you're talking to kids about their reality, the places that they go to the places they are afraid to go to. It just—it's it, really informative and helps shape perspective and helps inform your reporting as well. So it's a big difference. It makes a big difference, absolutely.
0: Uh, we misspoke earlier, listeners. I just want to make a quick correction. The Queer Fam Pride Jam is at the Salt Shed, not Salt Shed, Shed Aquarium. My oh. bad. At the Salt Shed, and no the, touching stingrays. No, <laughs> no touching stingrays. No, no, <laughs> darn it, no. And, and the Elgin Pride Parade is is tomorrow, Saturday, June third. That is Saturday, right? According to my notes slash producers, thank you. Uh, so, it's been a hot week. we got to talk about that. Temperatures hit 90 degrees this week. The city reminded landlords about uh, Chicago's cooling ordinance. We will remember that that was put in place last summer. This was after, unfortunately, three women died in a a Rogers Park senior living complex. Buildings that uh, run as housing for adults who are over 55 years old, and if they've got more than 100 units, they have to provide A.C. in all apartments, or they've got to have an air-conditioned common space whenever it's hotter than 80 degrees. Have y'all turned your AC on? Oh yeah. Just yes. Definitely. Yeah. Have to. Yeah, I woke up to a text. I woke up to a text from my daughter that she had sent poor thing sent it at midnight. I was knocked out, of course. I mean, who does she think I am? I have to wake up for the weekly news recap. And it was like, Can we turn on the AC? I'm sweating in here and I was like, Oh, poor child.
1: <laughs> Wait. You haven't I hadn't yet. Uh-huh. It's, oh, wow. it's on now. <laughs> Wait, you turned it on just last night? Yes. Oh wow. my God, that's hardcore! Wow, I, we were we were toughing it out. I was like AC on blackout curtains. Like <laughs> I'm I cheap. need to get some blackout curtains. There <laughs> you go. That's the way to do it's it. It's an investment. That's but it's a worthwhile. good idea. Pays for itself. I, look, I be sweating.
3: I be sweating. <laughs> so I have no choice but to turn the AC on. No choice. No,
1: it took me a while.
0: It just it just happened today. So yeah, don't
1: shame me. No, I'm I. Uh, I'm gonna regret sharing that story. I am intimidated now.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna call CPS. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, well, there's a great way to cool off, which is going out on a boat. I mean, if you're not lucky enough to own or know someone who's got a boat, you can go out for a day on a charter boat. Now, the, the Coast Guard reminds us that charter boats need to be licensed and they need to be inspected. Someone who didn't get that message, though, is 36-year-old boat owner Mike Garbowski in mm. Michigan. He was just sentenced to one year in federal prison for illegally chartering his boat. Wow! Any of you gone out on a, a charter boat absolutely it's on yeah. my list for this summer every yeah, summer too. yeah i
1: haven't yet i, I haven't, haven't yet to.
3: yeah it's a must you're gonna love it get your friends get some food <laughs> get, get some friends. drinks it's gonna be a good i like time.
1: those little electric ones that you could take on the river yeah byo food those and are drinks. very fun those are lovely it's not like you're gonna park it in the middle of the lake and yeah. jump out but like it's just nice being on the water.
0: Garbowsky, uh sometimes what he did was he took his passengers to places like the playpen, mm-hmm. which uh. is that that crowded lakefront area at Oak Street Beach. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> the boats anchor there; they tie up to each other. You've you've been there, of course. Oh, no. is it like Party Central? It I'm not sure cool is. enough to go to the playpen. It yeah. is
3: a lituation, as the kids say. A lituation. Yeah, and <laughs> you, you like get on other people's boats, and you know. Oh you, wow you share, the camaraderie.
0: Just make sure you're with somebody who knows what they're doing because there have been boat accidents. boat is properly chartered. Yes. There have been accidents at the plate. And boat so safety is very important. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A quick warning to our listeners. If you're going downtown this weekend, there's a family of Falcons. They've set up their nest on a Wacker Drive high-rise near Monroe. Apparently, the mama's been dive-bombing pedestrians, so be careful out there because she fears them harming her young, and wow. one person actually said that it felt like being hit with a 16-inch softball. Ooh, wow. Actually, what, a, what a great Chicago <laughs> reference. Yeah, he ended up with a, a one-inch gash
1: on his head. Oh, wow.
0: Did you ever have a close encounter with wildlife, A.D.? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> or hear stories i'm racking,
1: it? I'm racking my brain. Other
2: than, my,
0: uh, other than being pooped on.
1: Right. That has happened to me. Yeah, yeah mm. it happened to me. Hmm. Yeah. I grew up in Indiana, so I had friends with farms. But nothing bad ever happened. Nothing bad.
0: No,
3: I had a cat scratch my face when I was sleeping. Oh, as that's a child. nothing. <laughs> It doesn't, oh. doesn't
0: count? No, doesn't count. That's, That's not, not wildlife.
3: wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild to me.
0: But listen, if you're downtown this weekend, you might also have to watch out for crowds of Swifties. I got to mention this before we go. They're it's heading... also a bird,
1: as as a lot of people know. <laughs> Swift is a bird as well. If you just bring it back. I'm them. talking about the people who are going oh.
0: to Taylor Swift's sold-out Soldier Field concerts this weekend. Mm. I think the only Swiftie at the table is you, Brandon
3: moderately i i like the album it was a fun
1: little don't album. backtrack it was a fun little <laughs> album. so if you had to go what era would you dress up in
3: well i don't think i would go but if i had to if you,
1: someone was like i have an extra ticket brandon come with but you have to dress up probably, what would you the, wear?
3: probably the first era where she was doing that stay 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 country music era so like uh, curly hair. Yeah, like curly hair Taylor. That's probably <laughs> curly the hair one. Maxi
1: dress, curly hair, acoustic guitar <laughs> <Sure>. Taylor.
3: <laughs> but I'm I'm also not familiar with all the different eras. I just, yeah. you know, but that I guess that'd be the one I would go with. I don't know how I dress for that. That's Cowboy cute. hat?
0: Well, you know? anybody sure. going, stay safe out there. <laughs> we'll leave it there. That's <laughs> it for the recap. My thanks to Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quigg, Brandon Pope of CW26, and WBEZ's Tessa Weinberg. Have a great weekend. You thanks, too. You thanks. You too. That's it for Reset. The show's produced by Maha Ahmed, Stephanie Kim, Linnea Dominic, Brenda Ruiz, Micah Yason, Claire Hyman, Michael Liptrot, Andrea Guffman, and Andrew Merriweather. Dan Tucker's our executive producer, and Ethan Schwab and Dave Miska were our engineers this week.